Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're moving right along through Matthew's Gospel. If you're here visiting with us from a church that doesn't preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, book by book, I might encourage you to find another church. <laughs> but I might because Spurgeon didn't do it. <laughs> and I'd never not recommend that you go to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. But generally speaking, generally speaking, it's good to preach through books of the Bible as the congregation's main diet. And we've been going through Matthew's Gospel for some time now. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. The same day Sadducees came to Him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked Him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them, all the, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong. <laughs> Pastors need to say that more. <laughs> you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at His teaching. Father, we ask that no matter how many times we've read this, that as we hear it again and meditate upon it again, that we too would be astonished at our Lord Jesus Christ and His teaching. For He is astonishing. He is amazing. He is glorious. He is better. He's, he's better than, than football games. He, he, he's better uh, uh, than the greatest joys in this life. He's better than marriage. He's better than sex. He's better than the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. He's better. He's better than the greatest joy we've ever had in this world. He's better, you're better, God, than the greatest joy we, we've ever imagined. And Lord, we want to see you today. We, we want to be satisfied in you today. We want to delight in you today. We, we want to understand what uh, your word has to tell us. And Lord, we want to be transformed. We, we don't just want to hear, but we want to we leave different than when we came. God, we want to be more dead to sin. We, we want to be more alive unto righteousness. We, we want to experience what it is to be in union with the divine nature. Yes. As Peter taught us. Yes. Lord, you must come and help us. And so please, God, please work by your Spirit. Apply this Word to our hearts and lives and change us. Father, if there's anyone in here today, God, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, we beg you that today would be the day that you awaken sinners and that all heaven would rejoice at sinners coming to know their great bridegroom, Jesus. And so come, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak, O Lord. Let us hear from you and be changed forever. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw the Jewish leaders begin to come after Jesus 
because he had been teaching parables condemning them as, as wicked and evil people who reject God, reject Christ, reject God's way. And Jesus calls them out with parable after parable saying, you are the man. <laughs> you're the ones that are going to kill the son. You're the ones that reject God. You're, you're the ones that aren't following the ways of the Lord. It's you. You're the problem. You are the man, he says to these religious leaders. The first confrontation we saw last week was about paying taxes to Caesar. And the main point last week was, you belong to God. So you're free to trust and obey Jesus, submit to the government, and pay your taxes. And to pay them, not, not putting yourself down as a dependent. <laughs> as Anthony taught us this morning. Uh, uh, pay them faithfully and righteously. Not trying to wiggle out of stuff. So that was last week. Today, we see another confrontation between Jesus and a group called the Sadducees. These Sadducees denied much of the truth of God's Word, even denying the resurrection of the dead as we see in our text. But Jesus again answers their objections with power and beauty and perfection, speaking like no man ever spoke. That's our Jesus. He speaks like no man ever speaks. They, they try to corner him. They try to test him. They, they try to tongue tie him. You can't do it. You can't do it to Jesus. He made your tongue. In our text today, we see that we are to live for another world. Well, we've got to get this, beloved. If you want to suffer well, if you want to be content, if you want to trust God, you have, you have got to live for another world. Amen. You've heard that dumb phrase, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. We're, we're not enough heavenly minded. That's always our problem is we're not enough heavenly minded. The people who are most heavenly minded are the most earthly good because they'll let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. They'll give everything away and die for Jesus. They're the most earthly good because they're the most heavenly minded. We need to be more heavenly minded. And so we come to this text today to learn about heaven. Uh, we come to this text today to, to see that we are to live for another world, that Jesus is the final word to us, that Jesus is the final and perfect interpreter of God's word, that Jesus is the one who will fulfill all of God's word, and Jesus is the greatest joy, pleasure, and treasure of heaven that we are to live for. And so let's come, let us come and adore Him. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, that's what people are trying to do today. They're trying to satisfy themselves with all kinds of stuff. With sex and money and drugs and good jobs and relationships and marriages and family and kids and achievements. None of it will satisfy you. Friend, if you're here and an unbeliever, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, none, none of it will satisfy you. You will be empty. And you may even be full in this life, but you'll be empty in hell forever. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. That's what this text is about. We were made for another world, and, and I'm going to start right now. For those of you who are here and are not a believer, not believers, we, we want you to get this right up, up at the front of this sermon so the rest of the sermon will make sense. And, and, and often what we, I encourage our people to do in, in evangelism is ask people something we call the gospel question. And the gospel question is this, if you were to die tonight, and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now just answer that uh, uh, quietly in, in your own heart and mind. If, if, if you stood before God and He said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I use this way of evangelism all the time. It's basically the only way I approach people. Hey, do you mind if I ask you a spiritual question? They say no. Thank you. Have a good day. If they say yes, I'll ask them that question. 
And most people say something. Most people at Broad and Alney, most people at ShopRite, they say something like, I go to church. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I do good. I obey God. I, I do what's right. And I need to say like Jesus, you are wrong. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid to be blunt like Jesus. You are wrong. No, that's not right. That's wrong. That's wrong. Uh, all those answers lead to hell. I'm a pastor. I ain't going to get you into heaven. I, I teach Sunday school. That ain't going to get you in heaven. I help my elderly parents. I've made so many sacrifices in my life. I'm better than that guy I saw that went to prison. That's not going to get you into heaven. What is the right answer? The right answer is, Lord, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what I've left undone. My thoughts are sinful. My actions are sinful. I've lust after a woman. I've been angry. I've been proud. I've lost my temper with my children this morning, and for that I deserve to go to hell. <laughs> they wouldn't get ready quick enough and get to church on time, and I got mad. <laughs> and lost my temper. That deserves hell because you murdered your children in your heart. You confess sin that way? Father, forgive me for murdering my children. I murdered that man today. We murder in our heart. We commit adultery in our mind. We look with lust. We're angry. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We, <laughs> we claim ourselves as dependents on our taxes. We're sinners. The Bible teaches all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Lord, I deserve your just and righteous condemnation in hell forever where there's weeping and burning and gnashing of teeth. That's what I deserve. Yes. Friend, if you're here not a Christian, God has to bring you to that point. Yes. The Spirit of God has to so work in your heart that you see God as the holy, holy, holy one who deserves all honor and praise and glory. And, and the Spirit of God has to work in your heart that you see your sin is utterly wicked. How? God has given me life. He's given me breath. He's given me talents. He's given me a mom and dad. He's given me a place where I can hear the gospel. This is an amazing privilege that you have right here. Not because I'm here preaching it, but because so many millions die and go to hell without ever hearing this message and God has loved you so much to bring you here today to hear that message friend God loves you God loves you there are millions of people in hell who never heard this message and are in hell for the praise of God's glorious justice because they knew they should trust God because they saw creation and should have bowed down to him and they didn't but you're here to hear this message I deserve hell, Lord. But Lord, my only hope is that you sent a Savior. You sent a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the God-man. He's Yahweh saves. And He came and lived a perfect life. He's the only one who ever lived a perfect life. He's absolutely unique. When I was in high school, I studied Buddha. I studied Muhammad. I studied all these different religions and dabbled. And they're nothing. They're empty. They don't save. Jesus is absolutely unique. There's no one like him. He's the only one who lived a perfect life and took the wrath of God upon himself and died and was buried and rose on the third day. He conquered sin, death, and hell and ascended into heaven and rules and reigns forever. And he says to all people, if you will turn from your sins, if you will turn from loving feces and come to the glorious King in His beauty and believe on Him and trust Him, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. All your sins forgiven. All your sins wiped away forever. Friend, would you do that today? If you're online and haven't trusted Christ, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, would you do that today? Would you do that today? You shall be saved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can simply receive it by faith alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And if you get that, you'll understand this sermon better. The point of this sermon today is this. Pursue true knowledge of God. Pursue true knowledge of God. 
His word and his power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will live forever and never die. Pursue true knowledge of God, his word and his power. Yes, reform people, his power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will live forever and never die. Point number one, there will be no more division in heaven. There will be no more division in heaven. Look at verse 24. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection and they ask him a question. They ask him a question. Now, who were the Sadducees? Who were the Sadducees? I'll quote from an article that says they're like a denomination or a sect of the Jews who competed with the Pharisees for control of the temple and Jewish leadership. Caiaphas, the high priest in Jesus' day, was a Sadducee. Sadducees were often wealthy men of high position. And as they sought to appease their Roman rulers, they're heavily involved in politics. They held the majority seat in the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high court over which Caiaphas ruled for the 18 years he served as high priest. In terms of theology, what they believed about God, Sadducees denied the afterlife and any existence of the spiritual world like angels and demons, see Acts 23.8. And they only accepted the first five books of the Bible as God's Word. So they're sort of like the theological liberals. They'll preach about the resurrection of Jesus, but He rose in our hearts. And they deny the resurrection of Jesus. They deny the afterlife. So you live your life and get all your rewards here, and then that's it. The soul doesn't live on, the body doesn't live on, it's just this life. And they're the rich people. The power people. And we see them show up before now in Matthew's Gospel. John the Baptist addressed them in Matthew 3.7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you bag of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Matthew 16.1, we saw the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They ask Him to show them a sign from heaven. So they're like last week, the Pharisees testing, tempting Jesus like the devil came to tempt Him. And we see very plainly in our text, they say there is no resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. But there is a resurrection. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15, 16-20. God the Holy Spirit told us, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why we're here today. That's why we met today and not yesterday. We ain't Seventh-day Baptists because Jesus rose on Sunday. Amen. That's why we're here. The resurrection matters, and it matters more than a lot of people think. It changed a lot of things a lot of people don't understand. And guess what, beloved? The Old Testament told us there would be a resurrection. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Job 19, 25 through 27, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. No, there is a resurrection, and the Old Testament taught us the resurrection, but notice all those places I quoted from were not from the first five books of the Bible. So the Sadducees would just say, ah, and they're wrong, but we'll get to that. Beloved, I do want you to notice this, that even in Jesus' day, there were divisions among those who claimed to be God's people. 
Sometimes, especially young Christians, they come to the church and they're like, oh, how can I believe in the church? I mean, there's this Baptist church and there's the Methodist church and there's this church and that church and there's so many divisions. Oh, they can't be right. Uh." And and they're tempted to walk away from Christ because they perceive there's all this division and everybody's divided. Well, it's nothing new since Jesus was here. I want you to see that. I think it's helpful to see that. (laughs) There were divisions in Jesus' day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were divided. Almost every New Testament letter was written because of some type of moral or doctrinal error. So you hear people say, we just need to get back to the New Testament church. Oh, really? Well, which one do you want to go back to? Do you want to go back to Corinth? You want to go back to the church in Corinth? Let's go back to Corinth where there was envy and jealousy and gross sexual morality and desecration of the Lord's Supper. Oh, well, let's go back to Galatia. Let's go back to the church in Galatia. They're not, they're not even getting the gospel right. Let's go back to the one of the churches in Revelation, which we'll hear about tonight, where Jesus comes and has a lot of bad things to say about bad things they're doing. Let's just go back to the New Testament church. Okay. You don't know your Bible, bro. Unity will come. Unity will come. We saw in John 17, Jesus' prayer will be answered. And we should strive for unity in truth. But perfect unity will come in heaven. Perfect unity will come in heaven. There will be no more Pharisees and Sadducees and divisions and denominations in heaven. And we should work for unity in truth. And that comes by pursuing the knowledge of God and His power and His Word. And so, beloved, pursue true knowledge of God, His Word, and His power. Trust and follow Jesus, and you will live forever and never die. Point number two, there will be perfect life in heaven. There will be perfect life in heaven. Look at verses 23 through 28. The same day, Sadducees came to Him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked Him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Beloved, notice this first. There will be no wicked people who ask wicked questions in heaven. (laughs) Contrary to what you may have been told in school, there are bad questions. There are stupid, wicked, evil questions. And we see them asked here today because these Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They're asking a question about something they don't even believe in because they, like Satan, are trying to tempt and test Jesus. They are wicked. They are evil. They are conniving. And they, like, like last week, when, when uh, 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 they came and asked Jesus about paying taxes and thought they had him trapped, they think this one's got him trapped. We're just going to show him how absolutely idiotic the resurrection is by telling this outlandish story that would never happen in the first place. I mean, don't you think after the sixth man died, the seventh would be like, I think I'll pick another. (laughs) There's no evidence that they practiced levirate marriage during those times uh, uh, in in Israel. But they asked this question uh, to try to stump Jesus. Asking a question with wicked, evil motives is wrong. They asked a question about the resurrection, which they did not believe in, and they were trying to tongue-tie Jesus But beloved, he won't be tongue-tied. Remember, he created them and their tongues. And he's going to astonish everybody again. Because all he does is win. There will be no need for leveret marriage in heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no procreation in heaven. And so there will be no need for the very thing that the Sadducees are asking about. Now... What are they asking about, just briefly? Uh, lever is the Latin for brother-in-law. And from Genesis 38 and Deuteronomy 25, we have this in the law of God about leveret marriage. And so they ask Jesus about this. I, I just want to read Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6 for you. Uh, if, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall be married outside the family 
shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom uh, she bears shall secede to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And so this was a provision in God's law to perpetuate the, the, the brother's name. Uh, to, to hold the land of the brother. We're seeing this as we study the book of Ruth on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock if you ever want to join us. It was a, a way to provide for single women. And, and so uh, the, the brother, uh, if he died, he, the other, his other brother would marry uh, the, the wife and uh, provide children to perpetuate his brother's name who died. And so the, the Sadducees come up with this story, okay, this, this uh, guy marries her and, and he dies and so his brother marries and, and the brother dies and the next brother marries and they die and all the way up to seven brothers, they all die and then she dies leaving no children. Now who's going to be the husband in heaven to this woman? Because they all had her. Gotcha, Jesus. Oh, we got you now. You're going to make the resurrection look foolish is what they're thinking. But there will be no death in heaven. Beloved, just notice this, that everyone dies in their question. And that's what their wicked theology leads to as well. Death. But there will be no death in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For those who trust Christ and are welcomed into heaven, there will be no death. Leon Morris comments on this. The verb the Sadducees have used for raise up. I've never noticed this. Beloved, there's always new things to see in the Bible. Always new things to see. I, I've read this, I don't know how many times, since 1999, at least once a year. And I haven't seen this. There's always more. There's always more. The, the verb the Sadducees have used for raise up. Did you notice that in, in verse 24? I tried to, tried to uh, 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 highlight that when they asked their question, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children. You see that? You see that? Raise up. That, that verb for raise up of the dead. Uh, uh, the Sadducees were interested in, in marriage as the way of raising up descendants for a man who had died without children so as to perpetuate his name. Jesus points to the fact that this limits the power of God. God can raise up people by way of resurrection. The man's name does not need to be perpetuated for he himself will be raised up. The Sadducees are limiting the power of God by the way they understand raising up. We must not so interpret Scripture as to put a limit to the power of God. This is what the Sadducees were doing. And so, beloved, there will be perfect life in heaven and even this question they ask points to the fact that they don't get that. And so, beloved, pursue knowledge of God, His Word and His power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will live forever and never die. Point number three, there will be perfect knowledge of God and His power in heaven. There will be perfect knowledge of God and His power in heaven. Look at verse 29. So how does Jesus answer this? Well, first of all, He, he, he gives a little rebuke here. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, I just want you to notice briefly the sensitivity of Jesus. He's so sensitive and pastoral. <laughs> the way some people wrong, wrongly define pastoral. You are wrong. Huh? Next time I tell you that, take it as love from Jesus. <laughs> you are wrong. You know, sometimes people make comments in Bible study and I just let them slide. But sometimes I just got to, you are wrong. <laughs> Like sometimes people even say amens during the sermon. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. You are wrong. That's not an amen moment. <laughs> you are wrong. Sometimes we just got to say you are wrong. 
Because we love people. And we love people like Jesus. He says, you are wrong. Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And beloved, Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2, 21. He's our Savior, but He's also our example. For to you it has been called. Uh, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And so we have to say, even in our day-to-day, to people like Alistair Begg, you are wrong. Sadly, he's come out and given advice that, 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 that family members should, should, should if, if, the, if, if the person who's getting married in a homosexual transgender wedding knows your beliefs and know you believe they're wrong, that you should still go to the ceremony and give them a gift. Beloved, that's wrong. Jesus says that is wrong. You are wrong. And, and we have to tell people they're wrong. You, you can't go to a ceremony and condone what God condemns. That helps people go to hell. And we can tell them we love them. We can give them a gift. Kevin DeYoung's book on what the Bible says about homosexuality. Give them that gift. Uh, but we don't go and condone that. But we tell them, well, I love you. I love you. I care about you. And because I love you, I can't go. And so pray for Pastor begged that he would change his mind. I wrote him and sent him what I thought. Who, who reads that? But I try. I try. So we have to tell people they're wrong in love and be faithful to God's Word. The Sadducees are wrong because they don't know the Scriptures. Verse 29, you are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures. Now, beloved, get this. They read the Bible. They read the Scriptures. Okay? They studied the Scriptures. They memorized the Scriptures. They meditated on the Scriptures, but they were wrong because they don't know the Scriptures. All that to say, you can know a lot about this book. Right? You can be brought up knowing this book and reading this book and memorizing Romans 8, and yet you don't know the Scriptures. Because if you know the Scriptures, you'll see that they make a beeline to Jesus. You'll get Jesus. You'll trust Jesus. You'll love Jesus. You'll follow Jesus. You'll accept Jesus if you truly know the Scriptures. And Jesus tells them flat out, you don't know the Scriptures. John 5, 39-40, Jesus said to Jewish leaders, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. Beloved, we want to be people of the book. And we want to see Christ. Christ loved this book. He loved this book. He quoted this book all the time. He even in our passage, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Jesus said the Scriptures cannot be broken. He quoted the Word. He is the Word. And we should be people of the book and see how the book leads us to Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Beloved, do you know the Scriptures? Do you know the Scriptures? This is one reason I'm, I'm a congregationalist. I, I don't believe... that we, we don't have one statement of faith for elders and a, a different... Well, you just got to believe in Jesus to be a member. No, 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 no. You need to, you, Christians, you need to be theologians. You members of the church need to be theologians. You need to know your Bible. You have to hold me accountable for what I preach today. It's your responsibility according to God's Word. No one else's. The congregation. You need to hold me accountable. Know your Bible to hold me accountable to what I'm preaching today. If it's not in the book, I have no authority to say it. It's got to be in the book. Bring your book. Bring your books. Bring the Bible. The Sadducees are wrong because they don't know the Scriptures, but they're also wrong because they don't know the power of God. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that God can can raise the dead and, and make life different than what we could even conceive or imagine in this life now. They, they, they think it's, it's all here. Everything that's going to happen that's good or bad, it's here. There can be nothing more. Friend, we often live like Sadducees. 
We often live like this is it. That's why we have bucket lists. Now, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying if you have a bucket list, that's wrong. But if you hope in that bucket list, like I've got to have these things because this is all there is, I'll, I'll go to the Great Grand Canyon when God recreates the earth, when it's even better than it is now. I'll take my trip to Europe and India and all these places I want to go in the new heavens and new earth when it's all better than it is now. But, but, but we, we, we think this is it. I've got to get married. Because if I don't get married in this life, then I've missed out. No, you haven't. We're going to see marriage going to be gone in the new heaven and the new earth. And some of y'all are like, praise God. <laughs> but we're not to live for this world. We're living for another world. But they didn't believe God had the power to do anything better in a, in a new world. They don't believe in the power of God. They need to read Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You ever catch that? I mean, when Abraham was sacrificing his son, whom God promised, this is the one to whom the promise is going to come. Abraham was thinking, God must be going to raise this boy from the dead. That's what he was thinking. If you didn't have that in the New Testament, you'd probably be like, no, there's no way he could be thinking that. But friend, they were thinking a lot more than we ever know. They knew a lot more than we ever know. Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. Moses considered suffering with Christ better. They knew more than we, we think they know. I'm glad we said it so we can preach it here because people wouldn't even believe it if it wasn't in the New Testament. Well, there's a lot more that's there that's not in the New Testament that we ought to see. We should take our way of interpreting the Old Testament by the way the New Testament interprets interpret the Old Testament. We deny the power of God. They deny the power of God. They deny the Scriptures and they deny the power of God. They don't know the Scriptures and they don't know the power of God. Friend, do you know the power of God? What situation are you facing in your life that you write off as impossible and that you've given up? And you're hopeless, and you're despairing, and you're sad and depressed. Maybe it's a person's salvation. That guy will never get saved. Lord, I've been praying for him for 50 years, and he's still living like the devil, and it gets worse every day. Friend, don't doubt the power of God. Don't be a Sadducee. Don't be a Sadducee. Keep praying, keep trusting. Believe the power of God to save that person and save their soul. Do you doubt the power of God to help you overcome sin in your own life? You've been struggling with this sin for years, for decades. It keeps coming back to haunt you. You have some days and months and years maybe of freedom, but then it comes back. Beloved, don't doubt the power of God. God has the power to lay you down to bed tonight and raise you up tomorrow a new man concerning that sin. You believe that? Yes, often, most of the time, sanctification is very progressive and it takes years and months, but boy, I pray for deliverance. <laughs> Lord, let me never get angry again. Please, God, forgive me and take it away and make me a new man tomorrow. Dead to that. Totally dead. Bring me to new heights in sanctification, Lord. You have the power to do it. Beloved, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep fighting. He has the power to do that. And He has the power to keep you your whole life. Even if you struggle your whole life, He has the power to keep you and bring you home. Trust Him. Addiction. People struggle with addictions. Don't, don't doubt the power of God to set people free from lifelong addictions. A hard situation with your job that you think is impossible. Getting along with people you work with. Don't doubt the power of God. God can help you love them and deal with it or He can change their lives. You're in a hard marriage. 
You're in a hard marriage such that you, you hear this teaching today where Jesus says there will, will be no uh, human marriage in heaven and you're like, praise God because it's been terrible for you. God can change that in this life. Oh, He will give you relief in life to come for sure. He can change this if He so chooses in this life. He has the power to do that. Don't doubt Him. You're not married and you want to be. You've wanted to be for decades. And it just hasn't worked out. Trust God's power. He has the power. He has the power to give you the perfect person for you. And He has the power to be your all in all such that those desires even go away and you find more joy in Him than you could ever have in another person. God has the power to do that. You're like some of the uh, families in the Bible that desperately wanted children and they were barren. Friend, look at the Bible. God has the power to give you conception. God has the power to do that. Don't doubt God's power. You have disease in your life. Chronic pain and suffering. Children with disease. Friend, God has the power to heal them. God has the power to heal them totally and fully. And God has the power to use that in your life to help you know Him in a way that would never be possible without that affliction. Death. You fear death? I fear death. When I was home for Christmas, I was one, one, one day I was praying in somewhat desperation, Lord, please, please take me before you take my parents. Because I can't imagine living without my mom and my parents. My stepdad. You fear death. God has the power. God has the power to sustain you in those greatest pains that we might face in this life and to be your all in all. He has the power to help you do that. Friend, let's not be like Sadducees and not know the power of God. We have Ephesians 3.20. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Beloved, I've shared this with you before, but it never gets old for me. He is able. He is not only able, but He is able to do what we ask. He is not only able to do what we ask, but He is able to do what we ask or think. He is not only able to do what we ask or think, but He is able to do all we can ask or think. He is not only able to do all that we can ask or think, but He is able to do more than all we can ask or think. He is not only able to do more than all we ask or think, but He is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. And Father, we pray that You would do that in our lives in all the ways we need it done. And Lord, that You would grant us perfect knowledge of You and grant us perfect knowledge of Your Word and Lord, grant us perfect knowledge of Your power. For Jesus' sake. And so, beloved, pursue true knowledge of God, His Word, His power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will live forever and never die. Point number four, there will be a perfect marriage in heaven. Look at verse 30. For in the resurrection, so Jesus rebukes them. You're wrong. You don't know the power of God. You don't know the Word of God. Then let me show you how now that you don't know the power of God and you don't know the Word of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I love what Craig Bloomberg says about this. He charges his questioners with knowing neither the Scriptures nor God's power. He then unpacks these charges in a reverse sequence. 
In the resurrection life, God's power is so great that He can recreate life, including humanity, so that we will not experience marriage as we know it now. And then He goes to the first five books of the Bible and takes a Scripture and shows them where the resurrection is. Beloved, we need to see today that there is no human marriage in heaven. Beloved, don't ever say there's no marriage in heaven. Say there's no human marriage in heaven. Because there's going to be marriage in heaven. <laughs> there's going to be marriage. All y'all going to be married someday to the perfect spouse, the glorious, all-satisfying, most beautiful spouse in all the world. His name is Jesus. So don't say there's no marriage in heaven. Say there's no human marriage in heaven. That's very important. There is no human marriage in heaven, Jesus says. Did you see that? For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Every human marriage will end someday and give way to something better. The reality that it pointed to all along, that reality of Christ and the church, and the reality of sinless relationships. I was listening to R.C. Sproul preach on this, and he talked about how his wife, Vesta, was like, but honey, I want to be married to you in heaven. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this. Friend, when we don't like something in the Bible, there's something wrong with us. We need to change something about how we're thinking. But, but she, she said that, and, and, and this is what R.C. Sproul said. My relationship to somebody that I hardly know in this world will be deeper more blessed, more intimate, more fulfilling than anything I can experience in marriage in this world. Think of it. We will enjoy human fellowship and communion that will be far richer than the best communion we ever can possibly experience in this world. Now, now, now take note here. Jesus is just, again, flat out telling the Sadducees how they're wrong. There's going to be no marriage. Your, your, your illustration doesn't even work because there's no marriage but, but I'm trying to apply this to us. Is what, what does this mean for us? There's, there's no marriage in heaven. Friend, we're all going to know the women that you're married to now better than you know them now. Do you know that? We're going to know each other better. And you'll know your wife better as well. We're all going to know each other in a better, purer, more intimate, perfect way than we know each other now. Because there'll be no sin, no sin, no jealousy, no covetousness. We will know each other in a way that you can't even fathom. And so, Vesta, you don't need to worry. You're going to know me in a way and others, the other saints in a way that will far exceed any joy that you have in knowing me as your husband now. It's going to be unbelievable. So you're not going to miss out. Craig Blomberg puts it this way, Jesus' point is that when interpersonal relationships are perfected among the company of the redeemed, all human interaction will be as loving and rewarding as the best of human marriages in this life so that it will no longer be necessary or appropriate to speak of any believer as being uniquely married to one other person. Lack of sex or marriage does not in any way diminish heavenly bliss in this life. Uh, in the life to come, all interpersonal relationships will no doubt far surpass the most intimate and pleasurable of human intercourse as we now know it. Beloved, it's going to be amazing. The way that we know each other then is going to be so amazing and satisfying and beautiful and pure and holy. You cannot conceive it. And so you're not going to be missing out. Any joy, any happiness, any delight that you have on this earth, that it will be like that in heaven or far better. That's the reality of what we have to look forward to. And Jesus says those in heaven will be like the angels in heaven. We're not going to be like, we're not going to be angels, but we're going to be like the angels in that sense that we don't marry and procreate. Jesus is again rebuking the Sadducees because remember, they don't believe in angels. (laughs) So so Jesus is barbing them again (laughs) and telling them they're wrong. 
Angels don't marry or have sex relations. It will be like that for humans too. I love what Jonathan Lehman said about this. One of the greatest ironies of the postmodern West might be this. That great symbol of pleasure in our culture for which it consciously or not most emphatically rejects God, sex, is the very thing God has given humanity so that it might have an analogy, a category, a language for knowing what the unadulterated enjoyment of Him will be like in glory. In other words, we reject God for sex, but sex is exactly what He's given us in order to faintly grasp the experience of a perfect union with Him. God is better. God is better. And so many of these atheists and people, they come up with all these reasons. They don't believe in God. You know why they do that often? They just want to go to bed with whoever they want. It has nothing to do with reason. It has nothing to do with intellectual arguments. It has to do with taking their pants down. And they love their sex. And they love their... Uh, sexual morality and their sin and so they come up with all these reasons to deny God's existence so they can do whatever they want. And they will find out that they are wrong. Just like the Sadducees. Beloved, be encouraged. There will be a perfect marriage to Jesus Christ in heaven. <laughs> he's, got, he's got us thinking about this. In, in these parables and, 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 and here, uh, th- th- there will be a perfect marriage to Jesus Christ in heaven. Revelation 19, 7-9, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with a fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed. Blessed, 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 happy, 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 happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Beloved, what we have to look forward to is blessed happiness with Christ as our bridegroom forever. 1 Corinthians 2.9 No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. We want to be heavenly minded. We want to be so heavenly minded and believe, believe what God says about the life to come that we are so much earthly good. John Piper writes this, We are not suckered in by advertising that says the one with the most toys wins. We don't devote our best energies to laying up treasures on earth. We don't dream our most exciting dreams about accomplishments and relationships that perish. We don't fret over what this life fails to give us. Marriage, wealth, health, fame. Instead, we revel in in the wonder that the owner and ruler of the universe loves us and has destined us for glory and is working infallibly to bring us to His eternal kingdom. We live to meet the needs of others because God is living to meet our needs. We love our enemies and do good and bless those who curse us and pray for those who despise us because our reward is in heaven and it's great and we are not enslaved to the petty pleasures that come from returning evil for evil. All this flows from our unshakable hope when you know the truth about what happens when you die and you believe it. That truth makes you free. Free from the short, shallow, stupid, suicidal pleasures of sin. Ah, beloved, pursue the true knowledge of God and His Word and His power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will live forever and never die. Point five. I think this is the last point. No, yes, yes, yes. There will be a a perfect resurrection in heaven. Look at verses 31 through 33. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... What was said to you by God, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at His teaching. Mm -hmm. Beloved, notice Jesus rebukes them and shows them the resurrection in the book. He's always going back to the book. He's the Word made flesh, but He's always going to the Word wrote down. He takes them to their book. He takes them to the book that they'll accept, the first five books of the Bible. Have you not read? Have you not read? That, that's, that's, again, a little punch. Yeah. 
these people who study the book for, have you not, it's like talking to a pastor or, or a theologian, John Murray, or, or, or uh, who's that older professor at Westminster? Uh, he's been there forever. Dr. Porter. It's like going to Dr. Porter, has been studying the Bible his whole life, has three or four or five PhDs. Have you not read? Who are you talking to, bro? I've been reading the Bible. Have you not read? Jesus goes to one of the first five books of the Bible to show them the resurrection is taught there. He goes to Exodus 3, 5 and 6, the, the passage about the bush. Burning bush, Baptist church. I always like that name. The passage about the bush. They would be familiar with that. That's Exodus. That's where God is, is speaking to uh, Moses through the, through the bush and, 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 and calling him to go and lead his people out of slavery. And, and Exodus 3, 5, and 6 says this, Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Beloved, I just, I just want you to see God's Word is a treasure chest. Yeah. Of the knowledge, beauty, and power of God. <laughs> Again, if Jesus hadn't said this and I tried to go teach this in a Bible study, oh, this teaches the resurrection. Y'all be like, whatever, bro. You're just pulling it out of your head. Pulling it out of the air. Like Anthony, he, 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 you felt a little uncomfortable this morning, I could tell. But I was like, amen! That's in Genesis. Amen! Our lives are all messed up and dark and without form and void. And the light of God comes in and makes them right. Amen! Amen! There's all kinds of stuff like that, and we think, oh, that's far-fetched. No, no, Jesus saw it. There's so much more that we don't see that we would take Jesus' hermeneutic, we would see in the book. I'm convinced of that. We don't know the treasures here yet. We won't know them all until we get to heaven. But he goes to this passage in Exodus, and he shows them, no, the resurrection is in the Pentateuch. It's right here. It's right here. God's Word is a treasure chest of knowledge and beauty and power. The power of God. Exodus in the whole Bible is what God has spoken to you. Did you notice that? Yes. Have you not read what was said to you? Yes. This, is, this is written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, years and years and years ago. It said to them, friend, this book is written to you. And who's it written by? Said to you by God. Moses wrote it. It's said by God. God wrote this book. This book is God-written for you today. Get that. Get that from this text. Uh, Exodus in the whole Bible is what God has spoken to you. Have you not read, verse 31, what was said to you by God? Yes. And there's always more, beloved. Study the Bible. Pick up and read. And he says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus says, this teaches the resurrection. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That means He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. That proves the resurrection according to Jesus' logic. And if your logic ain't Jesus' logic, you need to throw your logic out the, out the door. R.T. France writes about this. It is in this context of, 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 God, uh, of God saying this that God reveals His name, Yahweh, I am who I am, and the object of that revelation is to assure Moses of the active saving presence of God with His people to rescue them from Egypt. Could this living, saving, covenant-keeping God establish a relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob only to allow it to be terminated by death? To be the God of implies a caring, protecting relationship which is as permanent as the living God who makes it. And then he quotes Jeremiah With unsurpassable brevity, this sentence says that faith in God includes the certainty of conquering death. Beloved, if your God is God, if God is your God, there is no death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. My favorite funeral passage is John eleven twenty five 25, and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me... Though he die, so there's a sense in which they're dead. Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John Piper was speaking and he said this, One of the most powerful moments in my seminary life was the funeral of James Morgan, 
my 36-year-old professor of systematic theology. Lewis Smeads was preaching his funeral message. Morgan's wife and four little children were there. And at one moment, Lewis Smeads in his magisterial voice lifted it up and cried out, James Morgan is not dead! And I remember to this day the tingling in my spine as the truth just crashed over that moment. I've never forgotten it. It was just one of those unforgettable moments. Beloved, if I ever preach at your funeral who are here, I will be saying that. Steve DeHaze is not dead! <laughs> and somebody say it at mine if I die before you. Joseph Randall is not dead. Beloved, that's the truth of what we have if God is our God. Pursue true knowledge of God, His Word and His power. Trust and follow Jesus and you will never die. And you will live forever. Beloved, notice the crowds were astonished. The crowds were astonished at His teaching. Jesus is astonishing. Jesus is amazing. He's very wonderful, admirable. There's no one like Him. He's amazing. His, his teaching is amazing and astonishing. But beloved, let us remember, don't just be amazed. Don't just be amazed. Trust Him. Delight in Him. Love Him and obey Him. I was... Uh, I was looking in my office last night and I came across all these beautiful poems uh, that I kept. Ellie Osborne, I asked her if I could share this, she, she used to write me poems every Sunday. And I kept them. And, and I, I, I want to read one. This one's titled, The Power of Jesus. The Power of Jesus. We will go to Jesus even if you tease us. At church, they ring the bell about Jesus, they will tell, because we don't want to go to hell. Amen. Jesus is our master. We should go to Him faster. He sent us you, pastor. I love God because He's the King. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ellie. And so we're going to run to Jesus faster. As we end here today, beloved, every Leverett marriage, what every, everything that Leverett marriage was meant to give, Jesus fulfills. Leverett marriage sought to perpetuate the brother's name. Jesus, who has the name above all names, who's our great elder brother, saves us so that we take His name and He gives us a new name. See Revelation, and we live forever. Beloved, know this. There was one time in history, in the history of the universe, there was one time in the history of the universe when God was the God of the dead. There was one time when a man died like no man ever died, and yet God was still His God. God can be your God. He's the God of Lena. He's the God of Brandon. He's the God of Michael. He's the God of Becky. He's the God of Rob. He's the God of Jay and Tanya and Bob. He's the God of Heidi and Isaac. He's the God of Jerry. And He will never leave you nor forsake you. And there can be resurrection. There can be eternal life. God can be the God of the living and not of the dead for one reason and one reason only. Because Jesus Christ, His Son, became the Son who was cursed and forsaken on that cross. Because the Son died and tasted death for everyone. He's the God who shed His blood on the cross to purchase His church, Acts 20, 28. On that cross, though God never stopped loving Jesus on the cross, and though God was Jesus' God on that cross, after all, He cried out, My God, My God, it is as if God was, in a sense, not the God of Jesus. Because there was no protecting, saving relationship when He was forsaken on that cross. And He did all of that so that God might be your God forever. God was the cursing, wrathful, forsaking God to Jesus on that cross so that you might never be cursed, crushed, forsaken. And Jesus rose up from the grave to conquer sin, death, and hell so that we might never die again and live forever. So now, it has been revealed to us in the New Testament, 
six times that God is called the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus came from Mary's virgin womb and faced His Father's wrathful doom and resurrected from the tomb to be our everlasting groom. Why do you live upon the earth? What's your treasure, greatest worth? What fills your heart with sweetest mirth? Oh, may it start with the virgin birth. When God the Son came down to earth, He is our life's most precious worth. Sadducees denied the resurrection. They came with a question for insurrection, but were overwhelmed by Christ's objection. He shut their mouths with truth correction. To His church He gives protection from false teachers' death infection. On that cross He faced rejection even though He was perfection. Took on Him our sin collection, but gave the tomb the great ejection, for He is the life and resurrection. He's worthy of lifelong reflection. He alone is our connection to the God of all complexion. He'll give your life a new direction. Fill your heart with pure affection. You will never face rejection, for He's the God of your election. And He'll bring you to perfection. Jesus told them they were wrong, though they've read the Word lifelong. They don't know it, sounding gong. They deny that God is strong. He'll raise the dead and live lifelong. To His family you'll belong. And in your heart He'll put a song. And in your heart uh, He'll put a song and you'll join the everlasting throng and praise His name with voices strong. Marriage on earth will face cessation. Then, eternal celebration. The Lamb's our spouse, our perfect relation. The church is His bride at the consummation from every tongue and tribe and nation. He'll love and support without accusation. He'll protect and provide with no frustration. He satisfies your deepest aspiration. He's worthy of every and all adoration because on that cross He saved from damnation to bring us the joys of eternal salvation. He's God of the living with no condemnation. Trust in Him now with no reservation. He'll fill you with fullness of joy's elation. And thus we praise the incarnation, the Word made flesh in combination. Let us adore in admiration. Christ Jesus is our life resurrection, our holy groom of all affection. There's no human marriage and no rejection in heaven where Christ is every perfection. He's God of the living and of our protection, astonishing all with His bold correction. He died on that cross under wrath's objection, then rose up alive in power projection. Now all that's in marriage, that human connection, you'll find it in Him, our treasure collection. God shows us in Him through sovereign election. Because of His life, we change our direction and live from His smile for glory reflection. For He's our resurrection affection and perfect perfection. Father, we pray that You would apply this Word by Your Spirit to our hearts. God, we pray that we would be so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. Father, we pray that we would know You and then know You more. God, that we would know Your Word and know it rightly pointing to Christ. That we would know Your power. God, grant us to trust You in Your power. Grant us to know that You're the God of the impossible, that You're the God of the resurrection. Lord, set us free from sin. Save our loved ones. Save our friends. Save those who have addictions. Lord, grant the barren woman child. Lord, grant marriages to happen. Grant contentment to happen in singles that marriages no longer wanted or needed. Lord, grant healing in marriages by husbands and wives being so heavenly minded that they love each other and serve one another. Father, help us trust and follow Jesus with the hope that we will live forever and never die. And God, we pray again for anyone here today that has never trusted Christ. We ask, oh God, that you would save them today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.